Welcome to the Mary's Mentors Podcast. My name is Mary Rose Swan. And I'm Mary Letitia Deal. And this is a podcast about business, life, human design, and whatever the fuck we want. (laughs) You know that we've been talking a lot about human design, and uh, Mary and I are going to have a nine-part series on human design centers. Um, going through all of the nine centers. So we wanted to tell you a little bit about centers. Right. We wanted to give a quick little 101 on what human design centers are. We've both been doing so much reading and research lately about human design. It's pretty fascinating when you get to sit down with a book and just read through it like you're back in back in high school with the textbook. I know nobody was really excited to read textbooks, but I'm one of the nerds that always loved the smell of a good textbook. So why do we want to talk about human design centers? Well, mainly because the centers are what determine our energy type, which Mary is a generator, I am a projector, um, but it also determines our authority, which is our inner decision-making system. So they are very important in a categorical way in making sure that we know a lot more about the similarities between the different energy types based on their definition. Yes, and what is a center? Um, It's one of the nine shapes inside your body graph. So they all kind of look like little triangles um, and each of them governs um, the areas of the body as well as different areas in your life. And um, they will either have a color in them or be white. And that's letting us know if they're open or defined. So how do centers become defined? Well, this is actually what I found out recently was super interesting. The, The definition in our chart is based on active channels between two centers. So if you have two little pieces of the puzzle that, that happen to create one thoroughfare, if you will, one through way between two, that is what will make you have active definition on the landing, the landing pads, if you will, of those two pieces of definition. So if there's not a completion between two different centers, meaning if it's kind of broken, if you will, um, you won't define that that specific center. They have to connect. And you can tell. You'll be able to tell in your chart when they connect because, again, your centers will be defined. Yeah. And if they're defined versus open, like I just said, they're going to be yellow, green, brown, or red. Um, if they're defined, if they're open, they're just a white uh, little triangle or shape there. So we wanted to really kind of at least give you a very limited background on what these mean, because obviously we don't want anyone to be kind of scratching their head throughout, confused on what we're talking about. Um, So if you have any questions about definition, how do you tell if yours is defined or not, you would go to your chart by running a a chart at mybodygraph.com, jovianarchive.com, or geneticmatrix.com. All right. So enjoy this series about the human design centers. Thank you.
Good morning, Miss Mary. It is a beautiful morning. I can see from your video, but no one else can see. It is a beautiful morning. Good morning. How are you today? I can't complain, but it never stopped me before. <laughs> Just kidding. I heard that yesterday on a TV show. And now I'm, it was, I think, Angry Birds 2, the movie. And I, I now I'm going to quote it for the rest of my life. I like to steal my best lines from Angry Birds. That's awesome. No, just the birds are chirping right outside my window today. Oh, I love when the birds are chirping. I can't usually hear it over the sounds of air conditioners in my neighborhood, but <laughs> nice cool mornings mean that the air conditioners turn off, oh. the birds come up. Oh, love it. My favorite. I really love the summertime, and I know that we're probably not going to be releasing some of our our podcasts until somewhat the season is a little bit later but I just I love summer summer is one of my favorite seasons I love it even more when I get to actually be home like a summer vacation <laughs> instead of having to go to work every day yeah I think that that makes a big difference um also like you're not forced to be out in any of the ridiculous times of the heat not that it's been that ridiculous this week like I think it only got to like 98 yesterday or 97 but mm. That's manageable. 97 is manageable um, compared to some of the other temperatures that we've seen and to. other places have seen and that we're going to see. Yeah, and that we're going to see. Yeah. yeah, it's not even halfway through July yet right now. Not, nope. Summer just started. I love this time in the morning. It's like 63 degrees. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. it's, um, so what have you been listening to or reading this last week? Um, I have not been reading, but I did, uh, I did have to move over to Spotify for my, uh, podcasts and because Apple did an update and it won't like my podcasts won't work most of the time. So I was like, you know what? Dax moved over to Spotify exclusively. I suppose I could go check it out and see what his episode was this week. And I'm so glad I did because it was Quentin Tarantino. And I love I heard about Quentin Tarantino. It's such a good interview. Like I laughed. It was such a good interview. So if you if you right. have an opportunity to be. Um, but I have loved him since the first movie. I, I think it probably was Pulp Fiction. But then I went back and my my real love is his screenplay, True Romance, which I have to get you the video so you can watch um, yes, because it's, yes. it's really good. But now I, I realize there's like two movies that I haven't seen. So I have to, to watch which, Once which Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yet? I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet. Do watch and it. It's really good. Now I can't think of what the other one was. I know I've never been able to sit through all of Inglorious Bastards. Um, I don't know why that one just doesn't. I can't. Oh, we can exchange I that. I have that on DVD. So if you want to be able okay. to watch Inglorious Bastards, um, I would definitely be able to loan you that one. Um, I, yeah, my Quentin Tino experience. Um, there's been there's a few that I haven't seen. I haven't seen like Reservoir Dogs. Was he a director on that one, mm -hmm. or is he a writer? That remember. was his first. First, he was both writer and director on that one. So I've never seen Reservoir Dogs. There's a few. I I think I've seen the majority, but. Um, I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but really I will say like Death Proof is my favorite of all because I just, I love, I love the empowerment in that movie. Um, even though the first half is like, ugh, shut up. 
but the second half, it gets so much better. Um, I made my daughter watch it and then Kill Bill, my dad's favorite Quentin Tarantino films are the Kill Bill movies. And so just like a year ago, Monday, I had posted that I watched Kill Bill for the first time. Um, And that's, I do plan on taking Elora on that journey too, because I really think again, where he centers female characters Mm-hmm. as the you know, the protagonist kind of the the hero I really like those movies oh I did watch the hateful eight not too long ago and I was like by the end of it I was like okay all right I mean it's okay but just seems like oh on Django I haven't seen Django either oh god so I got to see both those two in the theater and the hateful eight um, Natasha and I went and seen, we got front row seats. We were so excited for that movie. And then I shivered during the whole movie cause it's in the snow. Like I couldn't not physically oh, yeah. feel what they were feeling in that cold. Um, mm-hmm. and then I openly laughed at one of the really graphic scenes and the whole movie theater was like, <gasps> and I'm like laughing out loud because I, because I can't help myself. Was it the, this is why was I don't it, I see gonna... things in theater. <laughs> and I'm like, and when you say that, I'm like, which scene? Was it the Samuel L. Jackson? Uh, it, was it at the end where Samuel L. Jackson got some comeuppance? I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm sure I laughed thing... at that point too, but it had been silent. Like it, the movie theater had been silent up until, I want to say, yeah, it might've been one of the first really graphic scenes. Um, and... <laughs> But I broke the silence of the movie theater with my really loud cackle in the front. So I think it echoed all the way back. And I was, Natasha was with me. So I don't know if she was laughing at me or at the movie, but she joined in. So we have this witch cackle going through the whole theater. Oh my God. And everybody else is like, oh! God, that's hilarious. My, okay. My film story of going with a friend and having that scenario was I went to Sex and the City the movie with some girlfriends, one of which was um, my friend Adrian, and we're sitting there. And at one point, so backstory, there's this stupid little Zach Galifianakis. I'm like a radio on scan. There's like going to be seven different things I say here. Zach Galifianakis does a stand-up act. And in it, he says, "I this is my impression of a pretentious illiterate. And he takes off his glasses and he says, you know, I can't read. And um, it's just a dumb little thing. But we're in the movie on the screen, Carrie Bradshaw is reading an email and the woman, there's a woman behind us that reads it out loud to her friend. And, and Adrian thinks of the pretentious illiterate skit right then and starts laughing like, and it was a pretty, like, it's the moment, the, the climax where Carrie gets the email from big and realizes that he's been emailing her the whole time. And she is, like snorting, laughing, like doubled over and okay, okay, fine. I, the next day I was at work and someone's like, yeah, we went and saw Sex and City. I'm like, we did too. And she's like, yeah, but some girl like started having some kind of fit. And I go, oh my God, I think that was my friend. (laughs) And then I got to tell her about it. She was still in town. I got to tell her about it. I'm like, somebody totally wrecked like knew saw it it's just yeah friend <laughs> movie theater stories are some of my favorites i do miss them especially movie cackling theater. in a movie theater it's my favorite pastime 
I love yeah, but she, you also have to watch Django. I may have Django. Oh, it's just, I have a hard time. I do. It's it, That's a tough one for me, but I, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't watch it, but it's like, I definitely don't seek out films like Django. <laughs> personally. No, but just, again, with the woman protagonist and the good. Is she a woman protagonist in Django? Oh, wait, you gotta, you gotta make it okay. through. You gotta make it part way through. Okay. So okay. He, All right. that's well, one of the reasons that I love Quentin so much. Like I have been obsessed with this man since I was young because he does that thing and it's I'm learning more about him in that interview made made it make a lot more sense did you know that his until she passed away his editor was a woman for all of his films oh um I may I actually Funny story. Oh, it's, you might want to note down that for our podcast notes, we'll need to mention that this is a Quentin Tarantino fan podcast for the first 10 minutes. So stick it out. If, if people can stick it out for the first 10 minutes of talking about Quentin Tarantino, like then we'll get to the good stuff, everybody. Um, I got to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in Los Angeles at the theater for the Academy that they go and screen. I know, I know, I, I, you know this, but it, you probably may have forgotten it. But at the end of the movie, so this was the Academy screening. Long story short, I know someone who knows someone who got me the ability to go watch this movie at this theater. Um, and he, they thought that he might show up for the Q&A after the film. And he didn't, of course, because why would you? Um, he's not catering to the Academy. He doesn't really care. But his film, I think it was like the set designer, um, the costume designer. There, there were two women on the stage. The, the sound editor was a man. And there was, I think, one other gentleman. But the two women, um, one of them was the one that talked about how they shut down Hollywood Boulevard. They got permission from the city of Hollywood to shut down Hollywood Boulevard in order to recreate the Hollywood. Like they only got one side of the street for one day and the other side of the street on another day but they had to then go in and change all of the shops, all of the storefronts and make them as authentic to 19, what was it? Was it 69? Was that the, I can't remember the year that the Manson, the Manson family murders took place. I, I read Helter Skelter and I should remember, but I don't, but it was very close in there. Um, it was so cool. And like, they got Sharon Tate's wedding ring. Like the, like she was wearing, uh, Margot Robbie was wearing, Sharon Tate's real wedding ring through filming. It was just, it was incredible. I loved being wow. able to hear the, the, the backstory. Backstory was like, when you watch it, when you watch his movies, he doesn't do that um, audio dialogue recording afterwards. He doesn't, the audio has to be captured while filming. Um, and like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's scenes like when they're in cars, things like that. Like the sound editor was like, I have to admit, my job is very, very difficult because Quentin does not re-record audio. And so I have to be able to get Brad Pitt and what her name was, um, Quali, I think her, Margaret Quali, I think is her last name. She's Annie McDowell's daughter and she's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But he has to capture what they're saying with the wind going, you know, the sound of the engine, the sound of the wind, because the windows are rolled down. Um, it's just, it was wild. I loved being able to hear all the behind the scenes stuff that was like peeking behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. 
So please watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, and all of his other movies because they're fantastic. And every games. single other Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> he um did just write a book on um the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like he, he's ooh, I'd I'd read it because yes. I've always been. Because I read Helter Skelter in high school, I've always been, I wouldn't say fascinated, it horrified, obviously. Horrified, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, that's, I, yeah. Anyways, okay, so I'm not going to go into what I've been reading or listening to because now we've done, like I said, 15 minutes of Quentin Tarantino um, adulation, which he obviously deserves every single second of it. Um, go listen to Dax on Armchair Expert, interview him, somebody I just heard about his interview. I saw it in my, my podcast and I was like, oh, I bet that's good. Now I will definitely go and check it out. I'll make it a priority. A priority. What are we talking right, about well, today, Mary? What are we talking about? Uh, <laughs> um, today we are diving into the sacral center in the human design chart. So I'm just getting my... We've got notes and everything made, so I'll just open that. But I do also have my awesome book that Mary puts into our show notes that is kind of like um, just a really great resource guide. So I just want to have that open in my lap while we talk about this. But let's talk about the defined sacral, Mary. What do you want to say about the defined sacral? Well, all, I think we should... <laughs> you're defined, your sacral is defined, and mine is not. Yes, and maybe we should talk a little bit about what it is. So the sacral center is the life source. It's like the engine room of our bodies that encompasses the raw power of being a human. Um, and I think that's really important to know that it's it's like the generator. Like if you have a, maybe that's a bad, I, I need your analogies, Mary. Um, oh, well, it's like, um, it's a motor. I mean, that's the thing motor, is like, yeah. An engine, you know, a generator. I mean, when we see these things, we say generator, we say it in the context of human design, but most people, when they think of a generator, they think of something that creates power. So a generator is, is really defined by their sacral and they create power. That is the power house of our human design um, center system. Yep, and in the body, it's connected to our ovaries, testes area. Um, and so it does play a role in reproduction. I read somewhere that um, generators should be parents, like it's, it's actually part of them. And then the sacral center is also called the sex center. Why is that, Mary? Wow, chicka, wow, wow. <laughs> um, why is it called the sex center? I, well, I mean, really, because of the correlation with the actual reproductive organs in the body um, but I don't know, is there a better question to that or a better answer to that question than the one I just gave you? Um, well, not really. I think that's the direct correlation, um, but also um, defined sacral centers tend to be very sexual human beings. They tend to lead in the bedroom. And both the books that I read really went into that in a little bit of detail um, and how that does affect your sex life. So. Well, we'll talk a little bit about our sex lives once we get into it, because I've got some <laughs> observations from the open perspective on sex life, and I didn't note those down, so I thought those would be on the fly. You get, you get, you get my best improv on the topic of sex today. Nice. Um, so one of the things that I've really, as an open center, had to really understand is that it is 
um, comparable, I'm, you know, to the red light, green light on a traffic light. Now, we all know the yellow light is just a warning, so we don't even include that. That's to tell you to, to slow your ass down because it's about to stop. But the red light is a no, and obviously the green light is a go. So the, the sacral really acts as that kind of traffic light in the body. Um, and the yes, no, really, I feel like it, it's helpful for me to understand that that's really coming out in our guttural uh-huh and uh-uh responses like like when we think about little kids and how they you know we teach them affirmative and negative and you know that that before they can say yes and no they can shake their head or they can do the uh-huh uh-uh and that's you know that's i think so primal and primary and that's where the sacral really um makes a lot more sense to me in that way um, and then the, I think the, the part about the sacral response, this is the, this is the same with any center and its response is that our mind is always trying to rationalize our responses. If you have a defined spleen, your mind is trying to make sense of why you feel like you're in danger because that is our instinct center. Um, you know, if there's just all these different things and it's, we are trying to rationalize all of our body feelings with our brain, because we, we really did come to believe that our brain was more powerful than our bodies. I think that most people, most humans alive today believe that their brain is more powerful than the rest of their bodies. So we really trained ourselves to ignore a body response if it doesn't make sense to our brain. And it's the sacred, true. I feel it's like the, the, I feel like this is so true for this because it's such a yes, no, and we, we try to, why is a yes? Explain why that is a yes. Explain why that's a no. No, I think, it, I think that that's exactly it. And, and not being able to explain those things, especially when we're young, makes our parents can, or, or made, maybe we're raising a new generation here, but made our parents condition it out of us or maybe society condition it out of us to listen to that gut response and not think our heads are smarter. Um, you know, I, I think of that, you, you talk about a toddler with that gut, uh-huh, uh-uh, you know, shaking their head yes and no. And I, it, it brings me to a point of parenting where, do you remember ever being forced to hug somebody? Even when you didn't oh, want to. yeah. Like, even when you didn't want to. Um, yeah. And listening to, to current parents, um, Dax and, you know, his wife being, Kristen Bell being two of them, you know, talking about how if their girls don't want to touch someone, they don't make them. Like, if their gut response is, uh-uh, if they shook their head, uh-uh, that they didn't want to hug their nana or their papa or anyone else, they didn't make them do that. And it really resonated with me with reading about this because I'm thinking, you know, if we let these little people tell us more with their gut responses than telling them how to feel, because I remember that. I remember being like, no, it's, it's kind, it's polite, it's rude not to engage mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. touching someone if they want to touch you. And it's not, <laughs> I, I don't know how, like, 
I think about my little grandbaby that's coming and God forbid if she didn't want to fucking touch someone and she was forced to engage in a hug or a kiss, you know, in a way that she didn't want to, if she's saying, uh, uh-uh, then don't make that little baby do anything that she doesn't want to do on that guttural response, because there's something yep. there. There is absolutely yep. something within that little soul's sacral that is telling them, I don't want to do this or I want and to. By, and, 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 by, and by forcing it, we have now begun conditioning our children to ignore their body response. Correct. That right there is the thing. And, you know, it's generational. I really do feel like this is something that we can see because it's like, here's, oh gosh, this is, this is so funny. We haven't even gotten into the meat potatoes of this, of this center yet. But the thing is, is that, um, you know, this is so universal you know, we feel like if we give our kids license to make some of their own decisions, that we're spoiling them, that they will come to believe that their opinions matter. And therefore we need to really make sure that they're aware that their opinions don't matter. And I am like guilty of that because one of the things I say most commonly in my kids is I don't remember asking what you wanted. Like when I tell you that we need to do something and you tell me you don't want to, and that's a different thing. I'm not saying like that's, that's not hugging your parents, but it is, it's, it's still a power struggle with children and with that defined sacral, the more that you struggle, you, the more that you really turn that off, you're, you're effectively turning off a decision-making switch within a child by telling them that they, even if they have the response that they need to ignore it and just push through it and do the polite thing. And I hate that. I hate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So do we want to go defined or open first? I know we have open in our notes first, but if you want to talk definition, we can absolutely start there. Oh, let's go ahead and start with the open. Okay. So and and percentage-wise, are we're 70-30, right? So 30% of the population, roughly, maybe yeah. a little less. Like 34% undefined, and then that would be about 66% is defined. And then there is a split in that definition between your pure generators and your manifesting generators. Okay. So that's neither here nor there right at the moment, but... But yeah, so undefined is about 34% of the population. Um, and so that really means that everyone that is not a generator, so manifestors, reflectors, and projectors are all undefined sacral centers. Um, so I, I'm undefined. That's why I wanted, to, I will take the lead on explaining some of the open definition. So Open sacral centers are open to pull the work energy from a defined sacral center around them. So when we're around certain energies, they feel, we feel like we can work like a generator and that we're working harder. We can actually work harder. Um, This has been something I've been a witness to because I've always been like, I'm, I feel like kind of a lazy individual, you know, that's my projectorness is I'm, I'm more inclined to rest and, um, but when I'm in environments where a lot of people are working, like I want to get to work because I'm usually surrounded by generators in my house. I am surrounded by generators. Everyone in my family besides me has a, a defined sacral center. And I manipulate that. I use that to my benefit. But it's also I'll talk about the not self be, before I wrap up. But it's really about um 
making sure that I don't overwork myself because even though I'm not inclined to be super energy, energetic, um, I, I take that. It's kind of like, um, you know, second, you know, getting contact high, like I get a contact high from other people's work energy, but sometimes that contact high can actually like get me too high and I can't stop. I can't stop what I'm doing. So we do have energy. I want to be clear. Like we are not just lethargic laying around eating bonbons all day. We have energy. We just don't have consistent access to our energy. So um, we work in short bursts off of other people's energy which really, that's why we can't sustain it. Um, which is why I'm so lucky to live with so many generators. Otherwise I can't imagine what it would be like if I was living on my own. Um, because I, it would just be, I'd be fascinated to see what my life will look like when my kids are gone. And my husband has moved into his own house because that's, that's the way we're going to live. But, um, if open sacral centers work nine to five Monday through Friday, they will certainly burn out. And sometimes by age 40, they will experience a breaking point. And literally this is my life because I was reaching almost 40 and reaching the realization after discovering human design, not like this was a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I'm like, I got to get out of this. And my goal was to be out of the, the full-time grind by the time I was 40. I'm really super proud to say that I got that accomplished. And, um, you know, I think that what I've seen now is that I, I feel a lot more fulfilled because the nine to five job is draining. It's, it's, I'm really more designed for, you know, a concentrated work period, but very short, not, not hours and hours. I think, I feel like the 40 hour work week is bullshit. I appreciate that labor unions, negotiated us down from more hours to a 40 hour work week, but I still think a 40 hour work week is a bit excessive. Um, open sacral centers should have a flexible work schedule and be able to recognize when enough work, when, when enough work is enough for them. And then, um, when the sacral is open to work within their human design, one should start learning to delegate tasks and recharge themselves with naps and alone time. Oh, I love alone time. I now really have come to value my alone time and um, just really get deep into that. Um, I'm just trying to think like, I've always kind of gone inward. That's my reading. That's my, that's all of my time that I spend working inward or listening to podcasts is like my alone time. So I can even have my alone time somewhat when other people are around, as long as I have enough distance from their bodies. Cause I actually have to not be next to their body. Um, Cause that's how I draw in their energy. Uh, open sacrals are not lazy, but we may have been told that we're lazy because we've been told that we should work like a divine center and we probably, um, we, we we're always working like a generator or when we're unaware of our openness, that's the thing is like, once we know we're open, then we can say, Oh, wow, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. But before that, it's like, there is no awareness. You just wonder why you're so exhausted all the time because all you're doing is what everybody else is doing. And I know that we're all tired, but it really felt like a, a bone deep exhaustion. 
So when we're living in alignment, I'm, you know, I'm mirroring the energies of other people around me and then I'm putting them to use. Um, and that's really, that's it. Before I proceed though, do you, do you have any observations about openness from the perspective of being a defined center, Mary? Well, I think now that I've learned so much more about human design and I have um, two open centers within my realm, I, I have seen the mirrored energy and the exhaustion level. Like, I remember where the point you were at before you left your last job. And, and I feel like it's, you were there, you were at that breaking point. And then I see. It was a combination of, of lack of recognition and working like a generator. Like it was a Correct. twofer. So I was, if it had just been the Thanks. exhaustion, I probably could have pushed on. If it had just been a lack of recognition on a part-time basis, I could have pushed on, but working full-time for people not recognizing me and, and, and inviting me to do what I'm good at. Oh no, sorry. No. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and I, I watch Josh do this currently, like when he works too much and then has to, instead of the short bursts, the short bursts are perfect for him. Um, and he pulls off of the, the generatorness, but when he's trying to pull, you know, a couple 12 to 16 hours in a row, like by the end of that, Oh, communications, lacking um there's so many things that you know i just i want him to go sleep for two days <laughs> alone he's gotten so used to ignoring his body response that of course he's like if he can't even communicate within his own body it's like no, no wonder communication breaks down outside of his body because he's like you know kind of like scrambled all of his transmission capabilities because he's exhausted. Exhaustion is not good for our bodies as a projector. Nope. It's definitely not. Um, so that's what I've, what I've really seen as a generator now that I understand my generator properties. So, um, and your guys's open sacral, which is, is just different. So uh, the defined sacral center are generators period. So that's, I mean, she already said that. So we're, little less than 70% of the population. Um, in if you, in the lower middle square in your chart is defined, it's filled in red um, if you are a generator. So this includes generators and manifesting generators. Um, and they are the life workforce. So with all those little motors running inside, they're really there to, to keep the, the bricks getting stacked. <laughs> Um, oh yeah. Stacking bricks is a great way to put mm -hmm. it. Like just keep building, keep going, keep chugging along. That's very much the, the generator way. Yep, exactly. Um, when defined, the sacral center waits for the universe to present them with the right option, they will glow with alignment energy, working hard and getting things done without frustration. So that's when everybody's living in alignment with um, their defined sacral center. Um, instead of just taking anything, you, you waiting for the, the universe to present an option, but patience is a virtue. So I think that that can be really difficult. Absolutely. Um, sometimes feeling like a workhouse, workhorse, house horse, um, without much recognition, the generators will begin to feel frustrated, especially if you're not working within something that really 
lights you up. Um, when feeling frustrated, the generator may still produce work, but it might not be quality work. So again, we're still stacking those bricks, whether we're working within alignment or not, but sometimes that wall's not gonna be very sturdy um, if we're yeah. not working within our alignment. It'll be like some bricks kind of come out, the mortar is just like sloppily thrown on mm -hmm. there with the, with the little mortar board, yeah. Um, I feel like generators are super physical beings. So it's really important for them to burn physically off out that energy. So actually physically working out, doing a physical job, but physically exhausting yourself is almost a requirement when you have a defined sacral center um, because that motor has to, it has to burn its last fumes and then you can sleep soundly and regenerate yourself. Um, if you don't burn out all that physical energy, um, it'll lead to really bad sleep habits. Um, and then that leads to really bad health conditions eventually. Um, and they may manifest in an illness. Um, probably a lot of generators who are not um, actually physically burning that energy, I feel like this is where heart conditions probably come in eventually, um, you know, from not, from the stress of your heart working without your body actually moving. I think it's really I, important for generators to burn that physical energy. I take it one step further and say, can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. I might, my, my screen is frozen. So I was like, oh, am I frozen? Anyways, but my thing is, is that it's, it is heart, but it's also like when I think of how many people stop moving and that exercise becomes um, no longer a priority to them because they're too busy working and too exhausted to, to put in the effort to exercise. This is where the biggest breakdown in our bodies happen. And we know that majority of the population is a generator, but this is the same for projectors. Projectors don't get an exemption from taking care of their bodies. Manifestors and reflectors don't get an exemption from taking care of their bodies. The main thing is that we all have to do this. I, obviously generators need it because it helps with their sleep, but this is where I see autoimmune disorders can, you know, not to say that this is the cause, but that when our bodies aren't being physically taken care of, which is the majority of people in, the, in this country on this planet anymore, um, that manifests itself in our health. And I think that that's really, um, you know, we can see that with generators because, you know, I, I notice it a lot with my husband because in the last year he hasn't been able to be very physical because of his knee. Um, he had a knee surgery and then another, he's had like three or four knee surgeries in the last 12 months. Um, but now he's able to, he's biking, he's able to get up and he's moving a lot better after this last surgery. And, um, I'm going to be paying attention and asking him, how are you sleeping? Are you sleeping better? Do you feel like you're waking up more rested? Because I can tell you exhausting yourself by scrolling through Netflix is not the same kind of exhaustion as getting up and actually like sweating a little bit. And most you know, people don't like to sweat, but sweating is how, you know, you're physically exerting. 
And even if it's just moving boxes in the garage, I feel like I should just get him some big, heavy boxes and be like, can you go out and just rearrange those every day? <laughs> like, We're going to need those moved them. once a day. <laughs> once a day for the rest of our lives. Um, <laughs> I agree with that completely. And it brings me back to parenting again, because I have all of my children um, are generators or manifesting generators. So they all have a defined sacral center. And when my son was little, he was, I mean, from the second that that boy could move on his own, he was absolutely uncontrollable. And I mean that physically, like you couldn't pin that kid down hardly to change a diaper. Um, he hated getting dressed and under, he was just I mean, it felt, it felt like I was taking care of a small monkey that was just like climbing the walls, climbing me. Um, and I remember an old farmer, we were in the restaurant one day and I'm just trying to have a cup of coffee. I just wanted a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know, like a, like a normal adult in a restaurant. And my son is just, I mean, and his grandmother's trying, but it, my son is just doing his thing. And he goes, you need to get that boy a hobby or something. And I said, well, you know, he's two. What am I supposed to do? He goes, he got to burn off that energy. And it really resonated with me. And after that, I made that kid, like we started playing basketball. We started playing with a ball outside a couple hours a day, just something, a baseball, getting him outside and running out in the yard. And literally, like, I, I felt like I was playing fetch with a dog once in a while, but literally burning that kid's energy off of him. And as he grew, we got into wrestling, very physical um, basketball. He's always loved basketball, football, motocross, all these things that were incredibly physical. He rodeoed, he rode horses um, when he was littler. He rode sheep, he rode mini bulls. By the time he was like five and six years old, it was incredibly crazy by the time he was nine that's when I had to make a decision like are we going to go the rodeo route and break a lot of bones are we going to go to the motocross and probably also break a lot of bones um, motocross had more physical gear to exactly literally I, I made my decision based on I don't have to feed motorcycles in the winter and there's more protective gear in motocross than there is in rodeo so oh, we're going to go good. that route um, but I had I literally had to keep that kid motor going and he would just, as a child, that kid would just go until he fell down exhausted. Like he would just get back in the car after a day out at, you know, camping or whatever we were doing outside. We were always outside because he had to have a place to run and climb and use that physical energy. We always had to bring bicycles anywhere we went so he could ride his bike. And I did that with the girls too. It wasn't as necessary, but my child would have been diagnosed ADHD had I not been given that advice by an old farmer when he was really tiny just to burn that kid's energy. And now he's still working in a field where he gets to go outside and burn his energy every single day until he sleeps good. And I just think that if more generators were able to physically learn as, as a youngster that they have to burn that out, whether it's exercise in the 
formal form or like you said, stacking boxes, moving things, working with animals, being outside, all of those things that force us to be physical. Um, I just feel like there'd be less diagnosis of ADHD and ADD because we'd see them being able to actually physically burn off that necessary energy as the generator motors that they are. No, and I'll take it that step further. We put kids in school for eight hours and they're not moving as much as they should. They're sitting there and they're learning. I will admit as a projector parent, I I am so thankful that you were a generator with that, that got access to that information or that that old man said that too, because honestly, if he'd said that to me, I would have been like, that sounds terrible. I don't want to, I mean, for a parent, that's the thing. It's really, it's about our, our discomfort in, I don't want to be outside all the time. Like when you were talking about that, I'm like, that sounds perfect for you because you love being outside. I don't like being outside. So everything I would need to do, I basically turned my kids into little mushroom generators inside because I prefer to be indoors. I'm just an, I'm an indoor cat. And you know, my husband loves to be outside, but he's also not given, he loves to be outside. Let me be clear. He does love to be outside. He doesn't spend a lot of time outside just because you love it. Doesn't mean that you actually make it a priority. So, you know, we, we do camping and we've done stuff like that too, but I'm definitely finding that I'm an interior creature and that I have now created conditioned my children to be interior creatures as well. Not like it's wrong. I'm not saying I'm wrong. I'm just saying I'm aware of it. And that's like, sometimes it's not flattering to be aware of things about yourself. Well, and I have to say that you encourage your children to burn off that energy, whether you mean to or not. Like your kids work out with you. Your daughter's a runner. You you encourage them to get out for walks every day. Yes, you may have also encouraged a lot of indoor activity because that's where you are most comfortable, but you still encourage physical activity. Um, and you've been a role model of physical activity and they've watched you be consistent about your own physical activity, whether or not you get outside. True. It is true. And I think that that's important too, is when we can't, when we are not going outside, I am like, okay, well, you guys need to do a workout. And that's, mm -hmm. it's not because it's a punishment. It's not because it's because I know that this is good for you. And, and that's the thing they resent <laughs> me forcing them to do things that are good for them. That's, I think the the parent child dynamic, no matter what, but yes. um, you know, that is true. And, and I am aware and I, and I'm trying to teach them about their energies and telling them, you know, that is really important that, you know, you notice when you lay around all day long and then you go to bed and you don't really sleep that good. Like you just don't, it's not, I mean, you sleep, but you wake up and you kind of feel like it's just an extension of the day before. Like, that's why it's important to get up, get some energy. And my daughter is a generator, but she's 14 mm. and I'll be honest, like she definitely, the same way that I take on the conditioning of a generator, she takes on my conditioning as a projector and she likes to try to live like she's a projector. <laughs> well, I feel like every 13 to 16 year old is going to try to live like a generator because their bodies are literally developing still. And it's a really hormone filled brain growing body physically growing time because um, even my generator boy who as a physical being we were trying to get him out there every single day there was a summer that I was like 
is he dead? He's only slept. And I swear when he woke up in August before school and we got him, he had grown two and a, two inches, two and a half inches and was a, was a different type of human. Um, so there is that spurt of teenageness that forces them to sleep because um, we can't hardly stand them when they're awake. What are we going to do with them if they were awake all the time? Oh, I know that is, that is a, a good point. And um, yeah, I think like every, I think you, a lot of times we assume that it might be mono with teenagers because they, they need to sleep so much. Um, but yeah, she, and you're right. I mean, that is very much of the time and that's really when it's important to sometimes really push your kids to do things that they don't necessarily. And this is like when we talked about earlier, making them hug people, it's not making them hug people. It's, it's saying, not. do you want to go for a walk? And when they say no, saying, okay, that's fine. You don't want to go for a walk? Cool. You don't get a pass for physical activity. So if I'm offering you a walk and, you're, and your sacral says no, then you need to come up with exactly what you want to do. Because if I'm asking you a yes, no question and your answer is no, I'm not going to keep asking you, well, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? I'm going to say, okay. This was the easy one. Now you figure out what you want to do. I can't make the yep. decision for you. Well, I do. I often make the decisions. <laughs> Let's talk about a little bit about sex before we sign off because we've got a few minutes left and I want to make sure we get to the sexy stuff. Okay, fine. Yeah, sex is a driving force with the Defined Sacral Center. And when aligned with the right partner, they will thrive in a developing intimacy and vivacious sex life taking lead in the bedroom. I really did not think I resonated with this at first. Um, it's taken me a few days to really feel this one out, thinking about my sex life, which is a long expanding portion of my life. It, yeah, it's a lot to unpack when it comes to our previous, our sex lives. Um, so what, I guess, what did you, so did you come to, a, a, like a place of clarity within this that you okay what's your pace, place of clarity well well my my partner is undefined so similar to you and thad we are we are opposites in that um and if i'm not leading it's not happening yep i i, I will say that is uh, one of the things about being undefined is that uh, and Mary and I have talked about this before, and I'm I'm not shy with talking about sex. So you might also want to note down for our show notes that if if we wait until the end of the episode, we'll get to the sexy talk. Um, just because I love, uh, you know, within the show notes, guys, if you see something that you're like, ooh, they're going to talk about sex, you know, we want to make sure you hold out till the very end. Um, <laughs> that's what she said. Oh my gosh, that was a, that's what she said. Perfect joke. Um, hold out till the very end. <laughs> I have always felt, so I'm a romantic person. I like romance and I would say that I like romance reading it and watching it. I don't necessarily like to see it in real life. I mean, I like it for other people, but I'm not used to it for myself because my husband is not romantic at all. So it now almost would be a little uncomfortable if he started getting super romantic. I'd probably wonder what is up. Um, but he is, you know, I'd say like love language is physical touch is his love language, um, his primary love language. And so that really kind of pulls into the idea that um, 
he is going, and it, now that we know this, and I've told him, you're the initiator. I really need you to take the lead because honestly, I could take it or leave it. I could take it or leave it. And when I say that, I don't mean I would be chased. I can take care of my own needs. And therefore, I feel that that is, it's always been a weird thing to be married, but also to have, I would say maybe um, a normal, healthy, masturbatory life. Um, but it's like that it, 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 for me, it is a, it is a need to have a climax. I don't feel that I have to have that with another person. Once I realized that I didn't have to have another person in the room to climax, then it became very much a, um, just a functional part of kind of like the same way we brush our teeth or we, um, you know, do, uh, dry brushing. We we give ourselves an orgasm and, and then, you know, but now that we know that my husband is the initiator, it's been a lot easier because then he'll just be like, I'm inviting you. And I'm like, okay, if I, I obviously so far, I haven't said no to an invitation because I'm like, yes, yes, you're inviting me. The answer is yes. Um, but it's not, you know, it's definitely not, I would say with a frequency that would be like, oh my God, again, <laughs> fine. But um, I draw off of him in that engagement. Um, you know, I feel like that is where, you know, I, I do, I enjoy the act with another person. I just definitely don't feel like it is the only way for me to be able to have a, a really, I guess, healthy sex life by myself. I feel like as a projector, I can have a very healthy sex life by myself. And I think that's really healthy. And I think that we should definitely teach masturbation in schools. I'm serious about this. Well, 100%. maybe not like at first hand, make sure we talk about <laughs> it, but no actual like demonstrations. Maybe not, maybe not. But um, I think if more people felt more comfortable with it, that we'd have a lot less teenage pregnancy and STDs and so many other things. But anyway, um, I, it took me until I was goddamn 30 years old before I could really, um, not feel weird about masturbating. So, um, and I was sexually active young, unfortunately, um, much too young. And I didn't realize that I was the driving force in that, um, probably because of conditioning, because of the men's situations that I'd been through. Um, I think that from the age of 13, when I lost my virginity, through my first marriage, um, I really thought that I was following the role of what I was supposed to be doing sexually. And now that I'm in my 40s and I can reflect back, I'm like, you were guiding all that. You probably were really generating all of that. Um, negative and positive. And there was some really negative sexual experiences that I created and put myself in. Um, maybe in that fawning mode, you know what I mean? But still... Oh. Um, yeah, still, that was my, that was my defense mechanism. Like I can, I can do this. Um, I remember in my twenties, like at a very, it was probably a peak of my fantasy life. I was doing some writing and some, um, 
And I probably would have been a really great madam back in the day. Like running a whorehouse would have been really okay with me. Sex is something that I've always felt is a power, a power um, that women do have on a level if they can harness it and use it right. And reading yep. and reading about that back in the 1800s and how, I mean, that was one of the most powerful women in those small communities all in the West when they were settling is the woman who brought in some other women to, to satisfy the men, satisfy the men. Um, oh, and, and she was a lonesome dove when he says, he talks about poke, you know, give a, give a poke. Oh gosh. Yeah. I think a lot of us probably really like lonesome dove played a role in a lot of our, of our growing up years, just because so many of us, especially if you're Mary and I's age, which is like, we're, we're geriatric millennials. We're, we're, we're just at the edge of generation X, but we're really kind of squeaking into the, to the uh, millennial age, but lonesome dove. Oh, yep. Absolutely. So I, I don't know. I think that I went through a, another phase in my thirties, mostly because I was dating, um, which is weird to say now that I haven't had to date in a minute. Um, but by my thirties, I had really figured out where some boundaries were and what, and whether or not I was controlling the situation. So mm -hmm. Um, I think that finding the right per right partner again that that I mean you mirrors my energy in the bedroom when I have the energy in the bedroom um, hormones are fucked like I really mm. hate our forty our forty something hormones that we get to look forward to because I through my thirties I mean all the way up until really this year like I was insatiable for the most part like I could probably own that sexual power three or four times like a day oh my god get down girl get I'm it. not kidding like it, it's one of those things that like people like were like oh there, there must be something wrong with me there wasn't anything wrong with me I'm a generator in my 30s I was incredibly sexual and I mean it it really would have been no big deal. Now I'm a little like, what is sex? <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I feel like that's kind of, that's the thing that we find with, with our, with aging as well is just that, um, sex doesn't take quite, and I feel like that's a good topic and maybe we'll kind of expand on that at some point is like, what, what happens to us as we age within our human design and how that shifts the dynamics is that maybe it moves less and this is what you're experiencing. It's moving away from sex and it's really in the realm of family because this is the sacral center really is because it's about reproduction. It is about becoming, it's about parenting and things like that. So that's where I can see that maybe this shift isn't so much that it's like, it's a natural kind of progression from our sexual age and, and that, and not to say, I mean, like you said, you still have sex. It's just not as frequent as it used to be, which I feel like is pretty much all of us as we grow older. I'm not having as much sex as I was in my twenties, but I also wasn't having a lot of sex in my twenties because I'm a projector and I wasn't like seeking it out. I didn't have a lot of risky sexual experiences because I was really interested in more of the chase and the hunt of an individual and 
and catching them than the actual what I would do with them after I caught them. You know, that's kind of the thing. I'm much more of a hunter huntress. Um, that's my Sagittarius, my my seat, my desire to like chase and be chased. And I always feel like sex kind of made everything messier. Everything, and that's always been kind of my my crazy belief is that um, not just emotionally, but also just like physically. I feel like every time I've had to to engage in a sex act, it's always like, oh God, afterwards there's cleanup involved, except for the solo sex act. And then there's no cleanup involved. If I needed to clean up after a solo sex act, I'd be damn proud of myself. Damn <laughs> proud of myself. But yeah, it's just, I feel like they're the ease, the, the ability, you know, all of the things that I need from it, I'm, I'm, and I'm very open with my children about telling them, you know, I want you to be just as, as capable of understanding your own body before you let anybody in it or on it in any capacity, like know how it works. And mine are still pretty young. And of course, you know, I think that kids hate hearing their mothers talk to them about sex to some degree, but you know, the other thing is, is that even if it's just advice that my daughter gives to one of her friends, because her mom told her, Hey, it's not a bad thing. Um, I think that that's really, that's what I look forward to is like knowing that even if it's not something that I'm seeing in them right now, that that advice will be something that lingers, just like the old man telling you, you need to help him burn off his energy. My advice to them about things like masturbation and owning their own body and knowing their own body. I want to be the things that stick to their ribs too. You're going to be the little voice in their head. Yeah. While they're masturbating. Poor children. children. All right. Let's wrap this up. All right. Well, thank you. It was great to talk about conversation. Yeah, we did have a great conversation. We're now, we're not good on the dismount everybody. So just so you know, when we say goodbye, just assume that we're like two old men who don't know quite how to get off the phone with each other. So we're hanging up. Yep. Bye. All right. Catch you on the next Bye. <laughs>